Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. Very good to be with you. Breaking out news of the day: none other than Ray Vanna, Rebel HQ contributor and superstar. Should be a fascinating analysis. Top story of the day: United States congressman caught on camera threatening a former staff member. Here it is. Well, Congressman, what was that about? Let's put up the picture for a mask. I have some detail worth mentioning. Per Mediate, Representative Brandon Williams, Republican out of New York, was caught on camera threatening a former staffer during a tense confrontation at a holiday charity event on Thursday in D.C. In a video posted by Syracuse University student reporter Luke. Raydale Williams could be seen shouting at a man identified by captions as his former campaign manager and pointing his finger toward his face. Now, this is the stately picture of the congressman here. The former staffer seemed visibly shaken, attempted to respond, quote, I don't know what you're, and then Williams cut him off. Do you understand me? You think I don't know, he screamed. As an unidentified woman intervened, Williams told her, hey, why don't you get the police in? The congressman who assumed office in January 2023 then turned to the person recording the encounter and seemingly assaulted the camera, okay? That's what it seemed like. In an interview with, uh, with Semaphore, the following incident, following the incident, Williams accused the former staffer of saying, quote, incredibly vile things, end quote, about his wife and daughter, accusations the former staffer has denied. Quote, I haven't said anything about his family, the ex-staffer insisted, claiming that Williams had confronted him and another former employee 
after hearing unspecified rumors. Now, I'm going to say this, um, Congressman, if you are bent out of shape about someone talking about your wife and your daughter, please don't run for president against Donald Trump because they will be front and center of the conversation, sir. And would you have that same energy against Donald Trump if he talked about your wife and your daughter? Uh, But I actually believe the staffer, um, I think the congressman made that part up to seem justified in a statement. And I want you to see the justification. Williams, the spokesperson, claimed the two former staffers, quote, were fired by the congressman earlier this year. And that both individuals, the one being confronted by the congressman and the one filming, made rude comments about the female members of the congressman's family, end quote. Uh, And then the spokesperson said, these individuals planted stories with the media and one of them physically shoved the congressman at a holiday event, edited from the video. As a former nuclear submarine officer known for his temperament and poise, tonight should be a lesson to all. Never go after this Navy nukes family. End quote. You know, um, you are a horrible spokesperson. Let's put up the picture of the individual who was the former staffer. You see, this person is a private citizen, which means um, spokesperson. You have represented these elements as facts. You have represented that they did, in fact, plant stories to the media. You have represented one of them at least did, in fact, physically assault a United States congressman. Because of that proclamation and you being an agent of the congressman, uh, this is basically the congressional office saying this about these two private individuals. If this is not true, they have all right to sue you, all right to sue you. Uh, And I'm glad I have somebody else who can talk about that and wax poetic more than I can. Ray Vanna, I mean, to me, this is golden. I mean, the the spokesperson has set up the perfect grand slam, in my opinion. Thoughts? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. First, I'll say uh, between Brandon Williams and George Santos, what the (laughs) hell is going on with this freshman class of Republicans coming out of the state of New York? Just, you know, no tact, no class amongst these this group of Republicans. I'll also say um, that I think that people have sort of a misconception about the way politics works and the prevalence of this type of behavior. I'm glad this is getting coverage, but I think that a lot of people in this country have a uh, West Wing version of the way things happen in Washington, when I think the show Veep actually paints a lot more of an accurate picture of how things play out in the background. You see sort of these blowups happen kind of frequently when you're working in Washington politics. Not to say that it's acceptable. Uh, In fact, to say the exact opposite. It's completely unacceptable. And what we have here is a congressman who's you know, through his spokespeople, justifying this behavior as righteous anger about supposed unsubstantiated comments about his wife and daughter. You got into politics. Politics is a dirty game. Even let's say 
that the, these comments were made. That doesn't give you a justification to assault a private citizen. You know, this isn't even someone who worked, you know, in his congressional office. This is a campaign staffer, a former campaign staffer. Uh, and, and then, as you were pointing out, uh, Dr. Ritchie, now you also have a potential claim for defamation because they're not claiming that these were, uh, you know, rumors that the congressman heard. They stated it, as you pointed out, as fact. Uh, this campaign staffer was named. This isn't, uh, you know, a public figure. You know, it's a private, private individual who just is a campaign staffer. Not exactly a glorious job, <laughs> you know, often grueling hours for low pay. Uh, and and so now they've given this individual, both of these individuals who they they named, uh, an opportunity to take him to court and to try to clear their names through our our legal system. And I think that you know if if I don't have all of the background facts on this, of course, um, but if these were just unsubstantiated rumors and or downright lies about them, they should absolutely do that. And it might even be necessary for them in order to continue working in Republican politics. That's right. Or they can just come to indisputable, set the record straight. Right. Same thing, court of law or indisputable, either one. All right, we will give you an update if an update develops. In Atlanta, Tip pulls up at a bar. Why? Because the bar is false representing, saying that T.I. and his son, well, indicating per the flyer, they will be in the building. And at least Tip was. Here it is. You can talk to me. And to the end, ain't nothing going. Ain't nobody getting nothing going. Nothing. Call who you need to call. Do what you need to do. Ain't nothing happening. No money, no beers, no no partying, no sections, nothing. You put me and mine on the fire, get me everything. And if you can't, don't play with me. I don't know if y'all from here. Don't play with me in this city. It's my city. Don't play with me in this city. Yeah. Uh, Tip was involved in um, leading a local economic boycott of the establishment. Very peaceful, no violence happened whatsoever. Uh, in addition to that, the uh, individual or the individuals who were involved, they seemed to have remedied the situation. But I will give you the background and the update. So TI has had an eventful week. So the infamous incident with his 19-year-old son, King Harris. That happened at the Falcons game, Falcons versus New Orleans, great rivalry. That went viral. The rapper and business owner has now found his next viral moment after he was caught on camera going off at the entrance of a club. And I think it was quite appropriate. In the video, uh, the video that was posted on social media, uh, what you know, rapper was seen having a very loud one-sided argument with someone outside of an establishment, all right? So that's part of the narrative. So he continued, quote, ain't nobody getting nothing going, nothing. Call who you need to call, do what you need to do, ain't nothing happening. No money, no beers, no partying, no sections, nothing. You put me in mind on the MF flyer, give me everything. And if you can't, don't play with me. I don't know if y'all from here, but don't play with me in this city, this is my city. 
the ex-user that posted a video, Stephen Dingle, had an accompanying TikTok where he gave an explanation as to what actually went down. So here's some more detail. Listen, this is coming live from Standing on Business at five. <laughs> Let me tell you how Atlanta folks stand on business. Y'all know Atlanta is not a real place. And y'all know we go crazy with party flies. We always see for MLK weekend, or if something happens on um, social media, we use a flyer, create a fly out of it. <clears throat> so y'all know the situation that happened with T.I. Tiny and their son King at the Falcons game this past Sunday. So of course, in typical Atlanta fashion, a promoter made a flyer. Here's one of the flyers right here. <laughs> Folks, eh? but this right here is the more important flyer. I just want y'all to take note of the photo, the location, the club, 1145, and when, this Wednesday, R&B Wednesday. So they used the situation that made this flyer. It's very important to the story. So I got word last night that apparently this flyer made it to T.I. <laughs> and of course, what I'm about to say is a dramatization of what happened because I wasn't there. But what I'm about to say did happen. So T.I. saw this flyer and said, oh, word? They want to play with me like that? That's a bit. I'll be up there in a minute. And no, this is last night because today's Wednesday when I'm posting this. But we talking about Tuesday night. So apparently, Tip goes 11.45 to just holler at some folks to tell them, you can't play with me like this. Like, we ain't, we ain't doing this one. You are not using some tomfoolery from the internet regarding me and my family, especially me and my son and using me to promote a nightclub. We ain't doing that one. So I ain't going to talk about what happened, how, what, what went on from there. I don't, I don't know. That part, I don't know. But what I do know is that this is the new flyer. <laughs> and Tip and King will be 11.5 <laughs> tonight for R&B Wednesday. R&B Wednesdays, yes. You see, the economic boycott, while short-lived, was effective uh, because they're actually on a flyer and getting paid for the service as they should have been in the beginning. And I want to connect this to something because there's this required relationship, obviously, between um, industry and artist. And this permeates all the way to Hollywood, naturally, right? Music industry, entertainment, etc. But anytime there's a level of usury, regardless of what level that comes at, and it doesn't matter who's doing it, the artist or the industry execs, promoters, you name it, it should be called out, period. Fairness has more than a place. Fairness is required when you deal with me. And it should be required when people deal with you, all right? And sometimes fairness has to be asserted. Uh, but it appears T.I. eventually worked it out, all of the issues with the lounge, because as you see, he and King were there for R&B Wednesday, all right? His other son was there as well. Uh, and King posted a story of him and his brother playing their new song. Uh, father like sons. All right. You know, it ended well, actually, I think. Ravonna, thoughts here? 
I love a story with a happy ending. And I think this one is. Um, I also I'm really glad we're covering the story because it gives me an opportunity to talk about one of my favorite aspects of property law, uh, which is publicity rights. Everybody has them. Uh, You know, as public figures, Dr. Richie and I and T.I., of course, all have publicity rights. But even you, someone who is uh, probably not a public figure, have publicity rights. You have the sole right to profit off of your likeness. And what was happening in this case was uh, the club was profiting off of the likeness of T.I. as well as his son uh, without giving them any benefit without paying for the right to use their their image or you know cutting them a deal you know benefiting from it and then also paying them out without creating a partnership or without getting any sort of explicit permission which is why you saw him blow up at him uh, at yeah. that promoter with which I think was reasonable extremely yeah. reasonable on on several levels uh, but what they did end up doing was coming to a solution where, you know, it's a mutually beneficial relationship now. Uh, and they got some, uh, you know, just continue using the word publicity. They got some added publicity from all of this now uh, that they're going to continue to profit off of. So it is, it's a win-win situation at the end of the day. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it. Yeah. Uh, and because the club rolled with it, you're right. They actually got a great benefit out of it at the end of the day. Two people in a presidential debate, not a presidential debate. It was interesting. So I'm going to take you to a few highlights from the Governor Newsom and Governor DeSatan debate. Here it is. I think it's important to the folks watching. They're probably wondering what are we actually doing here? And, and, and I want to answer that very directly. I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm, I'm here to tell the truth about the Biden-Harris record and also compare and contrast Ron DeSantis's record and the Republican Party's record as a point of contrast that's as different as daylight and darkness. You want to bring us back to a pre-1960s world, America in reverse. Uh, you want to roll back hard-earned national rights on voting rights, on civil rights, on LGBTQ rights, on women's rights, not just access to abortion, but also access to contraception. You want to weaponize grievance. You are focusing on false separateness. You in particular, Ron, are on a banning binge, a cultural purge, intimidating and humiliating people you disagree with. You and President Trump are really trying to light democracy on fire. So, Sean, there are profound differences tonight, and I look forward to engaging. But there's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. Adam. I mean, whoever, sir, whoever wrote that one-liner for the opener, please give that person a raise and keep that individual on your team. Yes, that was the icebreaker. Put it up for a mass. All right. Uh, beneath those smiles was a lot of contention for the other. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Republican, and California Governor Gavin Newsom, Democrat, went head to head. During a fiery 90-minute Fox News debate moderated by none other than Sean Hannity. And branded as the great red versus blue state debate on Thursday as the governors. One a current presidential contender, the other one seen as a future prospect for the Democratic Party clashed 
over their records, policy, taking jabs at one another, sometimes over key issues. So let me give you the takeaways on my end. Given the role age expected to play in the 2024 presidential contest, the two governors, when compared to the 81 year old Biden and the 77 year old Trump, are young rising stars in their respective parties. Almost every question asked by Sean Hannity will be viewed through the lens of the current presidential race as the two jousted over whose state is doing better. Newsom, 56, 56 years of age, defended the Biden administration and stiffed arm suggestions that he will run while scoring digs against DeSantis, who's 45, who has struggled since entering the GOP primary. Now I'm going to say this. I think the debate actually put the nail in the coffin for DeSantis being a serious presidential candidate. And they may be looking at him side eye from Florida at this point. Because clearly one, he has the personality of a rock, a mean rock. He tries, but he cannot land it. He also is not very swift and let's just say thoughtful about his own policies. He doesn't seem to understand them. Or he's engaged in some massive gaslighting himself, probably both the truth. Joe Biden will be our nominee in a matter of weeks, Newsom said. And in a matter of weeks, Ron will be endorsing Donald Trump as nominee for the Republican Party. But Florida's leader struck back by calling attention to how voters remain pessimistic about higher costs. And many don't believe the president is up to the job. At one point, DeSantis accused Newsom of running a, quote, shadow campaign for president in 2024. A premise the California governor has rejected vigorously and gone to great lengths to dispute, uh, posed by Hannity if he would say unequivocally, he would not run in 2024 under any circumstances. Newsom quickly shot back, correct. COVID-19. DeSantis has hung so much of his popularity among conservatives on resisting COVID-19 restrictions. He boasted about the restrictions during the debate, claiming the California governor hurt the economy, hurt students by refusing to release certain closures. So here it is. They tax too much, they regulate too much, they have a political agenda. It's not a good climate for business. They've lost a lot of companies. A lot of companies have moved to Texas. We have had some to Florida, but they've lost a lot of companies to Texas because they're not doing a good job looking out for folks and not creating a good business environment. And you know, when I have people that come to Florida, they tell me, you know, you guys actually want us to succeed in Florida. And they feel like when they're in California, they don't want business to succeed. Is that what Disney's saying, the Tampa Bay Rays? Well, actually, yeah. I think that's an interesting point with Disney because uh, I had Disney open during COVID and we made them a fortune and we saved a lot of jobs. You had Disney closed inexplicably for over a year. You were not following science. You were a lockdown governor. You did a lot of damage to your people. You had more kids locked out of school for a longer period of time in California than anywhere else in the country. It was the working class kids. It was the middle income kids. His kids were in private school. They were in class in person. He locked people out because of the teachers union. He is owned by the teachers union. You will never cross the teachers union. This is union. just a lot of high Lock, stock, to, and let's barrel. Talk about- All right, and we have more. So Newsom fired back by pointing um, out the negative health consequences and how DeSantis embraced restrictions 
In the early days of the crisis, when Florida declared the pandemic an emergency and imposed closures at beaches, bars, and restaurants. You even wore a mask, Newsom said. He did all of that until he decided to fall prey to the fringe of his party. And as a consequence of that run, tens of thousands of people lost their lives, end quote. Uh, and let me go to the mispronouncing of the VP's name, uh, Kamala Harris, during one of the smaller exchanges during the COVID-19 portion of the debate. Newsom called out DeSantis over the pronunciation of Vice President Kamala Harris's name. Newsom interrupted DeSantis saying the Florida Republican was insulting her on purpose. Here it is. What Gavin Newsom does in California is kowtow to the teachers union. Whatever they tell him to do, he does. He will never balk the teachers union. That's why the kids were locked out of school for so long. Joe Biden is in the pocket of the teachers union, and so is Kamala Harris. That's why they fought the way, school openings when, when he Shame came in you, there. It's Kamala when they had Harris, that in Ron. It's Kamala Biden Harris, came into office Madam and he Vice brought in President the teacher to union you, to be Harris. able to do Stop all insulting. these different things to try to keep the schools closed. At least it was caught, right? Really, the slight is the lack of honoring the VP in front of that name. There's more, all right? Uh, so California versus Florida, let's get into it. Much of the debate also centered, uh, touched on how differently red and blue states address problems from taxation to violent crime. At the outset, DeSantis and Newsom battled over why Americans are leaving more liberal leaning states to more conservative ones, according to census data. DeSantis, who at one point held up a map documenting um, human feces in San Francisco, noted how even Newsom's father-in-law moved to the Sun Sunshine State in recent years. New population data has shown roughly 29,000 Floridians moved to California, compared to about 51,000 who did the reverse. He's the first governor to ever lose population, DeSantis said. They actually at one point ran out of U-Hauls in the state of California because so many people were leaving. At various points when Hannity contrasted the two states, Newsom defended the Golden State's achievement and huge population, saying his state has no peers. Uh, let's go to abortion. Newsom was pressed by DeSantis and Hannity on what restrictions, if any, he was supporting the final months of pregnancy. He declined to engage with the question of what the of at what stage, excuse me, the procedure should be prohibited. However, quote, I trust a mother and doctor to make the decision, end quote, is what Newsom said. Newsom returned fire by pressing DeSantis to explain if he was signed a six-week national abortion ban, similar to the legislation he signed into law in Florida, which he said, even Donald Trump said it was too extreme. DeSantis dodged Newsom's question, however, instead telling Hannity he supports the culture of life and pivoted to how Democrats won't say if they support any regulation on abortion. And then immigration. As part of the two, as the two sparred over immigration and border management, Newsom accused DeSantis of luring migrants under false pretense by offering jobs and housing, an accusation stemming from the effort to organize flights for migrants to Martha's Vineyard and a few other places. He, uh, his office organized similar flights to Sacramento, California, and other uh, over the summer. Uh, that kind of gamesmanship using human beings as pawns, I think, is disqualifying, Newsom said. Uh, and I think it's actually more than disqualifying. It's criminal. It's criminal. Those are human beings, right? Uh, they actually are under the protection of the United States justice system. 
And so if you decide to do something criminal against an individual who may be undocumented, doesn't matter, uh, documented or undocumented, that person has the right of justice. You should be punished. All right. There was a lot there, uh, Ravana. What were your thoughts about this uh, fascinating uh, debate? Fascinating is the exact word I was about to use to describe it. So uh, before the debate happened a few weeks back, uh, Gavin Newsom said that Ron DeSantis lost the debate the moment that he said uh, that he would uh, he would do it, the moment he agreed to it. Uh, not because, you know, Gavin Newsom was necessarily, um, you know, touting his his debate uh, expertise, which he does have. He's very politician-like. Uh, you know, he went into yeah. the right career for himself. Um, but because there's no reason for Ron DeSantis to be to be debating Gavin Newsom right now. Uh, Gavin Newsom, as he pointed out at the debate, is not running for president. His job there was to uh, represent the Biden-Harris administration. And you know, for all of the disagreements I have. Uh, politically with both the Biden-Harris administration and Gavin Newsom. He did a wonderful job at that. He went in to list all of those points, to give the DNC's arguments against the Republican Party. He did an excellent job, whereas Ron DeSantis went in extremely ill-prepared, really not to represent his policies, not to represent his record, but to attack California, which doesn't benefit him in this primary. It gave Gavin Newsom an opportunity to point out that Trump is beating him by 41 points in his own state and the Republican primary. Uh, but the most important thing that I think Gavin Newsom was able to do uh, was to attack the Republican position on abortion, because we've seen time and time again now, multiple elections you know, across this country, that abortion is deeply, abortion restrictions are deeply unpopular. People want to protect abortion. Every time it's been put on the ballot for uh, the people to vote on, they have protected abortion. So what we're seeing right now is the DNC, you know, the Democratic Party in, you know, in state parties are gearing up to try to get uh, ballot measures in 2024 in swing states to give people the 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 own their uh, ability to protect abortion in those states so that people who are going to vote Democrat are going to go out to the polls in order to protect their rights to abortion. It's an excellent strategy. And Gavin Newsom was really did a really, really good job at pushing the party line. And I think really laid, uh, you know, for better, for worse, I'm not sure that this is, you know, necessarily the, the direction I want to see the country going in, but definitely laid the path for him to run in 2028. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I also agreed with the comment Newsom made early that as soon as DeSantis said yes, uh, he has already admitted defeat because there is no way running for president, you pause to debate a guy who's not running for president. All right, still fascinating.
So this Karen, based on the video, went from anti-Palestinian to anti-black. Uh, let's put up one of the pictures for a mask. I'm going to give you the background to this insanity. She decided to do exactly what you saw because people were engaged in pro-Palestinian protest. A pro-Palestinian group, Palestinians are human beings. This is a pro-human being group, regardless of your opinion about any conflict in the Middle East. Per Atlanta Black Star, the Karen was caught on camera spitting at a crowd of pro-Palestinian demonstrators in a California mall last week. While leaning over a side rail, she not only showered the group with her saliva, but according to the narrative, she ends up doing it to a little girl, a child, a black child. When confronted by the child's father, she went from bashing the Palestinian supporters to cursing black people. The protest happened at the Westfield Mall in San Jose, California, and called for a permanent ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war during the Black Friday shopping frenzy. A lot of people, a lot of activity, a lot of eyes, a lot of ears. According to the footage circulating online and other reports, the protesters were gathered on the mall's main floor in the lobby. The woman was several floors up, mocking and ridiculing them from above. At one point, she flipped her middle finger at the demonstrators and then spat on them. And see, that's the part that's illegal. You have the right, madam, to flip off somebody. You do. I would not encourage it, but you do have the right to do so. Just as they had the right to engage in a proclamation of who they support, they have a right to do so. You, however, do not have the right to assault them. And yes, utilizing your bodily fluid in such a way is considered assault. Many have been prosecuted for such. Uh, the camera does not capture um, her uh, actually uh, hitting the child with the saliva, but a black man with the child said they were standing next to her and that she was sped on too. Don't tell me what to do, she says to him before he tells her that she spat on or near the little girl. As she clarified and shared who the spit was intended for. She barked as she walked away, F black people, end quote. Um, yeah. So. Once again, you know, the isms, they never travel alone, all right? A person isn't just racist against this group without likely being racist against, well, more. And while she's trying to justify her aim, the reality is no person should ever believe they have the right to spit on another human being, period. But this individual, not connected to any of the protests, not even in the actual vicinity on the floor of the protest, upstairs decides to lean over rail, put all stuff in danger, and hurl her disgust. Well, somebody knows her. I do think it's time for an intervention.
All right. Ravana thoughts. Yeah, maybe that intervention could, uh, you know, come from a potential hate crime investigation. That's what I would like to see, yeah. because as you pointed out, it's illegal to spit on people. You you know, no matter how justified or angry she felt like she was in that moment, it is illegal to spit on people. So there is a crime there, an underlying crime. And then there is the, you know, ability, you know, you hear her say effing bl black people at the end. The racism is apparent there. And I think you uh, made an excellent point, Dr. Richie, by pointing out that, uh, you know, it's very, very rare that racism is isolated at, you know, or specific against one group of people. That's right. We've seen in the past weeks and, uh, you know, months now, uh, this rabid anti-Palestinian sentiment being driven, you know, not by uh, a love for, uh, you know, Israel or the Jewish people, but a hate for Palestinians and Muslims more broadly, the more, the most rabid uh, elements, uh, uh, the most, you know, uh, the most anti-Palestinian elements of those those groups of people. Uh, and what we saw here was her manifesting that racism, that hatred by spitting on that group of people. And regardless of whether or not she spit accidentally um, on that a black girl. It doesn't matter because at the end of uh, her interaction with the, the father, she says, as I said, effing black people to show her disgust and her racism uh, towards black people as well. And, you know, th there's there's been silence from the state of California's uh, uh, hate crime investigation bureau thus far. I would like them to respond to the comments being requested from these news organizations so that we can see that there's some sort of progress being made. I can't believe that we are, you know, how a week or so out from this video being uploaded and we don't have this woman's name yet. Yep. Uh, that is shocking to me. I know the internet can work fast. Let's get a name. Let's get some action. Let's make sure that she's not able to go and act with racist impunity in the future. Right. And make sure that there's an example set of how the public, how our authorities will respond to such a thing. Okay. All right. We'll bring you updates as they come. Bro, leave. Bro, you need to leave. You. Where did you come from? Good. No, shut up. Where did you come from? That's what I thought. This is your hood. I'm in the hood. Now. You're in charge now. I'm in the hood. Dude, what do you want? Like, I'm going to get, like, oh my gosh, dude. Please don't touch me. Don't touch her, bro. Don't touch her. Don't touch her. Don't touch her. I swear go. to God. Here we go. Bro, this will be, this will be it. Go. This will be it. You just pushed her. You just assaulted her. And go. it's on camera. Put it up. Put it up. So, okay. Put it up. Get this. I know where you. I know where you're from. I know where you're from. What's up? Hey, 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 What's up? Hey, hey, What's up? Hey, yeah. All right. Put him up full mass. I have significant background here. So this was a shocking and very dangerous moment for the two hotel workers who were being attacked. He's a Marine, okay? 
the Marine attacks two San Diego hotel workers, including a woman who is not even five feet tall, okay? Before being knocked out by a metal lamp. The video shows a male identified now as Jason Frink approaching the hotel desk asking for a room. One of the two women, women behind the counter told him that there was no availability. The man became hostile and began swearing at the employees. Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton confirmed to ABC 10 News that the Marine, Mr. Frank, has retained his position as a sergeant on base. Yeah. So what you see is basically what you get here in this video. I mean, to have that kind of anger and violence because someone made a factual proclamation about the business restriction. They can't kick somebody out of the hotel for you to get in one. And then you decide to physically assault to attack. There should, should definitely be an arrest here. There's no provocation, no reason, no self-defense for you. Um, but according to the uh, last report per ABC News local affiliate, um, he's retained his position as sergeant, meaning supervisor. All right, thoughts here? Um, I'll say it's, well, it's a little bit nice to see a Karen finally get their ass beat for once. It doesn't really <laughs> happen that often, and he definitely uh, deserved that. Uh, of course, the situation is horrific, but it's not surprising to me that he was able to, you know, uh, retain his rank after assaulting women. Considering that the military has shown uh, that they approve of assaulting women, they have, uh, you know. Th- shuffled under the rug time and time again, uh, reports of sexual assault that happened to female Marines, female members of the military, violence against women, uh, the violence, spousal violence. They don't, I mean, they don't care when the violence is happening uh, against female Marines. They're people they're supposed to be protecting, people who should be, they should be viewed as their own. So, I'm not shocked at all. I wish that, you know, and I'm glad we're covering this story, hopefully to get more eyes on it, maybe create more outrage at the scenario that he's able to retain his position after assaulting, assaulting women, (laughs) you know, maybe drunkenly, but it doesn't matter. That is behavior unbecoming of a member, uh, you know, a United States service member. And there should be repercussions. There should have been uh, legal repercussions as well. We're just not seeing that play out. So, you know, we got to keep, you know, attention on stories like this, keep pressure on these institutions to maybe get a shred of accountability more than just him getting his ass beat with a lamp. Yeah, you know, that was just the beginning of justice. Um, We still have a justice system that has to get some of that as well. And um, they simply were engaged in self-defense against a person trying to harm them. Black Lives Matter, they continue to denounce this individual who has claimed to be a leader of BLM and endorsed Donald Trump. Now, I have some words to say about this personally. Uh, I've been waiting to get back in the air chair to do so. Uh, naturally, we invite the young man to come on to the program anytime in the bullpen, anytime on Indisputable. Here's 
a reminder video. You know, this is my favorite story of the day because it identifies with what I've seen in the barbershop. All the brothers, for some reason right now, are turning tides right now. And I just wonder, what is the big reason? I think personally, it's the duplicity of the Democrats, mm. the hypocrisy. Um, we're not stupid. The brothers are not stupid. We, we understand when someone's for us and when someone is not. And it's obvious that the Democratic Party is not for us. You're not saying the entire Republican Party. You're saying Donald Trump. So what is it about Donald Trump? Is it the economics? Uh, you noted the black family. What is it going to take for him to sure up this support amongst uh, black voters? A lot of people are misinformed. They don't really understand because they don't educate themselves on, on Donald Trump as a person and his history. Um, but if they do that, and it's going to take, you know, leaders, educated leaders getting the word out there. Um, I think that it, it'll happen on its own and it'll be organic because um, personally, I love the man. Why, why did you end up leaving Black Lives Matter? Or are you still affiliated with it? No, 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 I'm still affiliated with it. My message that I preach and, and, and that I tout is unity. It's a message of unity. It's unity driven. I want to bring together all the marginalized groups from the, the margins and bring them to the center because we're stronger together as a, as a one nation under uh, indivisible under God. All right, I'm going to tell you what the people at Black Lives Matter, what they have to say. But before I do that, um, I wanted to make sure, let's put up the picture for a mask. I want to make sure I provide some policy dynamics. Uh, politics is a policy game. If you engage in politics without understanding that you are already manipulated, number one. Number two, politics is messy. When you decide to say yes to the Republicans, have the same level of integrity as you had for saying no to the Democrats. If you're saying that Democrats are racist or their policies are antithetical to black people, which by the way, I agree. I agree that many Democratic policies are antithetical. We bring them out right here on this show. But to then try to sell to the nation, try to sell to black people that somehow Republican policies create an advantage for black people. There's a reason, dear brother, that while you endorse Donald Trump, Donald Trump has never endorsed Black Lives Matter. There's a reason for that. You need to stop endorsing people who refuse to endorse you. He will not represent your policy agenda, nor will he represent mine. But some homework for you to do, sir. Household median income fell under the presidency of Donald Trump for black Americans. Employment ratio, the actual earned ratio of employment utilizing the U6 rating system failed under Donald Trump. College money dried up under Donald Trump. High school graduation of black children decreased under Donald Trump. The list goes on. I can also provide these data points for you under Democratic presidents at large. Black families incomes have grew an average of $895 annually, but only grew $142 under Republicans. The black unemployment rate fell by a net of 7.9 percentage points across 26 years of Democratic leadership, but it went up 13.7 points during 26 years of Republican leadership. Across the years of Democratic leadership, black poverty has actually declined by 23.6 percentage points when a Democrat was in charge of the White House, but it actually grew by three points when a Republican held the White House. The numbers are actually similar for Latinos as well. All right, 
Uh, Donald Trump said he is very honored after he received an early 2024 uh, endorsement from a black man claiming to be a top activist in Black Lives Matter. The social justice movement that Trump continually blasted during his term as protests gripped the country in 2020 following the police killing of George Floyd. Word of the surprise endorsement emerged November 28 after self-proclaimed political activist Mark Fisher, who says he co-founded a BLM organization in Rhode Island, expressed his support for Trump during an interview with Fox and Friends while complaining about a Biden era policy or policies. And once again, let me set the record straight. It is perfectly fine to critique policy regardless of where it comes from. Perfectly okay. I do it all the time. But once again, to try to sell the false narrative that somehow Republicans are for black people based on their policies is insane. So Trump ran to Truth Social immediately. Okay, let's put it up. Why did Trump go to Truth Social? Because, well, Mr. Fisher is, he's basically a ploy. He's a proxy. He's a pawn. Spoke with Mark Fisher yesterday, a great guy, very honored to have his and Black Lives Matter support. I have done more for black people than any other president, Lincoln, question mark, including 10-year funding for historically black colleges and universities where they had none, opportunity zones, criminal justice reform, and much, much more. Thank you, Mark. Um, one by one, I can knock those policies down. Trump said to defund and decrease funding for educational talent search, the federal trio program, you know it is upward bound. That was a whole lot of first time college students in urban communities that dried up under his presidency. While we talk about criminal justice reform, remember under Donald Trump, sentences actually Enhance, increase nonviolent offenders, spend more time in jail. His program, which was a graduation of Obama's program in a bipartisan bill, but the program he gets credit for, his prosecutors were arguing against judicial use of the program at the same time of him taking credit for that program, which, by the way, impacted less than 1% of the African American community. In another interview, On the Kim Iverson show, uh, Fisher said, black voters have been used and abused by Democrats for too long. And I agree with that statement in the context of understanding both parties play this political game. But then he says, during the impromptu chat, Fisher even said, everybody else sucks, meaning other contenders in the presidential race compared to Donald Trump. Um, Here it is. Do you feel alone in this viewpoint, in the world that you're in, being in the BLM movement? No, I feel like no. the tide is starting to turn. I feel like really? a lot of black people are starting to pivot off of that democratic plantation for so long. Uh, we've been slaves to that uh, party. You know, Actually, we've been mental slaves, uh, afraid to get off of that plantation because uh, you know, we've been used and abused for so long at that party. They don't value our vote. Uh, their policies are basically... Um, Racist policies, and I believe it's a racist party. 
that strikes at the heart of the black family and the nuclear family in general. And I believe Donald Trump is he's the opposite. He's he's going to tell you how, how it is. He's going to give it to you straight. He's not going to, um, you know, uh, be a hypocrite and, and, you know, stab you in the back like the Democratic Party loves to do. Trump has done more for the black community than I can any president I can think of in my lifetime. Name the policy, sir. You say he takes softball interviews because he knows no one is going to challenge him on these weak ass Sean Hannity talking points. Uh, black people are on a plantation that's meant to invoke emotionalism out of black folks so that we feel like, oh, we can't say we're for a Democrat because then this person says we're slaves. No, he wants you to think like him. And if you don't think like him, you must be a slave. But the truth is, if you think like him just because he tells you to, that is enslavement of the mental parameters. Here's the reality. He's utilizing an adopted blueprint. He's saying the same terminology that has been said by others who decided to do the about face. And naturally, he is absolutely invited to come on the bullpen any day. Brother, I don't care what day, if it's on a Sunday, I will make sure I am in the studio to debate you policy by policy. Now, I see you're hopping your happy ass on everybody's show talking about how black people are slaves. Do you think black people are stupid, sir? There's a reason why the majority of black folks vote for the left-leaning candidate. There's a reason. All you have to do is look at the policy dynamics and what our values are. And you will see line by line that the connection you claim exists between policy, Republican Party, and Black America simply is non-existent. Gary Dantzler, the leader of Black Lives Matter Rhode Island, disputed Fisher's claim that he co-founded the Social Justice Group. However, he did acknowledge that Fisher once worked for the organization for a short time before he was ultimately uh, <clears throat> let go. Mark Fisher stated he was one of the co-founders of BLM. Uh, he told the Providence Journal without going into much detail. Absolutely not. He was a respected advocate for BLM. That's it. And he has paid and he was paid and somewhere he got fired and demoted. Fisher finds himself embroiled in controversy with many in the official Black Lives Matter movement, painting him as an imposter. He is listed as the founder of BLM Inc., a separate independent entity that purported to represent the broader Black Lives Matter movement led by Fisher, a relatively unknown former staffer with a new loose-knit connection on the national stage. He's the pawn. The website for BLM INC states the group is, quote, not affiliated with any other Black Lives Matter movement. Can I say that again? Not affiliated Donald Trump while you're appreciating Black Lives Matter for endorsing you. He's not affiliated. We don't know this cat. He's not from us. Uh, the Black Lives Matter Foundation also sought to discredit Fisher, calling him a political operative who was trying to pull an obvious publicity stunt. And once again, once again, dear brother, if you simply are authentic about who you represent, how you represent, please submit your opinion all day. But to make a false proclamation 
or seemingly false proclamations that you are representing some level of the organized uh, movement known as Black Lives Matter or a significant portion thereof uh, is dishonest and dishonorable, in my opinion. Once again, you have the opportunity to come in at time of debate. All right, the right wing continues to use and amplify fringe black voices to create an idea of broad support for their corrupt candidates. The foundation fumed in a statement to Business Insider, adding that Fisher's operation is illegitimate. All right, so Black Lives Matter, they've had to deal with um, charlatans in the past, individuals who claim to be part of the movement. Uh, they were not, some were soliciting contributions under false pretenses that blew up. Um, so we have this in front of us today. Um, I'm not sure what kind of individual this person is beyond what I know publicly. But I will say this, if you are authentic, sir, and you believe policy by policy, your position is correct. I challenge you to come on the program. Let's have a conversation about it. Now, we covered on day one, from day one, a deacon in Atlanta pulled over, simple traffic ticket. According to the officer, he refused to sign. That's not what the video showed. He kills this man, okay? We had the daughter on the program. We now have the actual footage, and I will give you the update. Here it is. Body cam video shows an encounter between a church deacon and an Atlanta police officer that resulted in the deacon's death. It all started as a routine stop after an accident, and now the deacon's family is demanding justice. All right, I did find you at fault in the After then-Atlanta police officer Kieran Kimbrough determined 62-year-old Johnny Holloman was at fault for an August 10th car accident. You're going to sign this ticket right here before I get my sergeant out here. He tried to get him to sign a traffic citation. Sign the ticket. Sign the ticket. Sign the ticket. Holloman refused. The officer then tried to arrest him. The scuffle ends with Holloman on the ground. Put your hands behind your back. And the officer tasing him. Put your hands behind your back. Holloman eventually became unresponsive and the officer cuffs him. He checks Holloman's pulse. A group of officers gather around, but it's not until paramedics arrive around 10 minutes later that CPR is performed. It's been hard, it's been rough. Nitra Holloman is his daughter. What he did to our father was murder. It wasn't that he passed away. Holloman was a deacon at a local church. His autopsy determined the tasing along with existing heart disease led to his death. The Atlanta Police Department said it fired the officer for not following the policy of calling a supervisor to the scene. Now we're asking for the officer to be jailed and prosecuted to the fullest extent. The former officer is appealing the firing, and his attorney said he acted lawfully. The district attorney will determine whether charges will be filed. I would like to highlight a few things, make a correction to their reporting. Uh, Mr. Holloman never refused, never explicitly said no to signing the traffic ticket. He never did. He did what many of us do. He continued to plead his case. And while he was being tased, he clearly said that he will sign the ticket. It did not matter to this officer. The officer was fired because Mr. Holloman, requested a supervisor. 
He wanted a sergeant there. Why did he want a sergeant? Because he could clearly see this officer, uh, A, did not know what he was doing. The officer's 23 years of age. B, was being way too aggressive for a traffic ticket. So he wanted someone who had rank, which means likely they have a little bit of maturity. So he calls for the supervisor. Well, the young man doesn't bring a supervisor there. And that was the premise of his firing. Now, what I see, my personal opinion, is a criminal act. We had the daughter on Indisputable um, not too long ago. And here's what she said after she saw the video herself. So first of all, nobody really came and spoke to me about what happened. I actually, my dad actually called me. So when he called me, he called out, he said, baby, baby. But I could hear what was going on because he, you know, the phone was on speaker, so I could hear my dad and I could also hear the officer. So seeing that video, um, it just gave me confirmation for what I already knew because I had already heard it. I didn't physically see it, but I heard it. So when I put what I heard to what I saw, yeah, I'm in outrage. And I feel like this officer, he needs to be prosecuted. I feel like he needs to be off the force and terminated. And I feel like the world needs to see what he did to my daddy. It's, to me, it's just clear cut murder. I mean, I don't know no other way to see it. And then for my dad to have to beg for help or to beg for his life over a traffic ticket, senseless. Yep, senseless is the word, very senseless. There was a tow truck driver who actually aided the officer that led to the death of the deacon. They are calling for that tow truck driver to be indicted by the DA as well. And let me give you an indication of how policy should have changed a long time ago. The city of Atlanta, the council unanimously voted after the death of Deacon Holloman. They unanimously voted to end that policy. So now if you get a ticket and you don't sign, there's a box on the ticket that says refuse to sign. And you get to move on with your entire day. So does the cop. All right. Um, they would like, obviously, a prosecution here. Uh, in a statement, the Atlanta Police Department said the goal of both the mayor and the district attorney is to provide transparency while recognizing that protecting the integrity of an investigation and possible subsequent prosecution may require temporary withholding of video evidence from public release. Um, attorney Davis, an attorney for the family, uh, said the family is grateful. Willis has taken this important step to ensure transparency. We're going to stay on top of this just like we always do and give you the update as it comes. Rayvonna, thoughts here. I'll just say that uh, oftentimes tasers and rubber bullets are referred to as non-lethal force. Yeah. Now that's a misnomer. They're right. not non-lethal. They and police officers often refer to them as less than lethal because they can and do kill people. Tasers kill people. Rubber bullets kill people. That's exactly what happened in this case. And officers feel emboldened to use those weapons because they feel uh, like they're they're not they're not engaging in the act of violence that they are. They're they're not so scared that they're gonna have to answer for killing people. But in reality, that's exactly what happens. And uh, you know, we absolutely need to change the way that we regulate the use of those types of weaponry by police officers in this country. That's right. Um, and you have to assume if there's an elderly individual in front of you, uh, you're 23 years of age. You're physically fit. You've gone through the academy. You know combat. You have to use a taser on that person while they're on the ground. 
and you don't think this is going to cause significant injury or possibly even death to a person up in age. Come on, man. All right, so we'll bring you updates. Ravana, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. We got the bullpen next. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Good to be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get it. Welcome to the bullpen. All right, we have in the bullpen, Mr. Donald Kimball, commentator, Young Voices and Communications Manager, Washington Policy Center. Very accomplished young man. Good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Pleasure's mine. Uh, we're going to chop it up about social media, this proclamation that somehow conservatives um, are being targeted on social media, and the reality of certain lawsuits that have gone forth, basically saying social media should not really regulate people on the platform. Everything should be free. I don't want to uh, presume what you know, believe about this issue, so I will allow you to tell us and then opine. Of course. Well, thanks again for having me. It's one of those issues where a lot of the time people can dismiss the idea of conservative censorship because it's not 100% total, right? You might say there are conservative voices being censored, uh, and the response might be something along the lines of, well, okay, well, how can we still see big outlets like maybe like Ben Shapiro, The Daily Wire, or other prominent conservative voices, they're still out there. So there's not really censorship going on. But what we've actually seen is that there has been targeted censorship through social media companies, but it's done by pressure from the government and the White House, different departments, Department of Homeland Security, different institutions have gone out. And I would like to say that while most of the voices maybe have a conservative bent, I think it's a little bit more about trying to censor voices that dissent with whatever the powerful narrative uh, needs to be for the the people in power, I should say. Uh, so I think you know it, it's it's a shorthand to say conservative voices are being censored, but I would say it's it's more about voices of dissent that challenge the narrative that uh, the government usually wants to have um, as a baseline. And we've seen multiple examples of that. You know, I concur with the uh, challenging of narrative dynamic uh, because I do believe that individuals who are presenting a point of view, even if it is adverse to the normative point of view, should be able to have their voices heard, period. But Republicans or conservatives, when they decide to make issue with being banned from a platform, when you look at the but for cause of why they did so or why they banned them, it's a legitimate reason. And typically it's a reason codified in the very contract you sign before you are allowed to engage on the social media platform. So let me ask the question in a more broader sense. Do you believe that these platforms should be completely absent of regulation from the private company itself? Well, <clears throat> what I would say is when you're talking about the terms of service agreement that you know you sign up for an account, you agree to these terms of service. What we've actually seen from different things like the Twitter files or even recently Michael Schellenberger um, had testified before Congress with other leaked documents. You've seen this in the Missouri v. Biden case that's going on about four months ago. They they uh, agreed to to rule this on this. You've seen that what initially happened is the White House or the FBI, um, different national departments of our government have come to these social media companies and pointed out 
tweets or um, posts or groups they don't like. And initially, there actually was pushback from these companies saying, actually, this doesn't violate our terms of service. So we're not going to. But what ended up happening then is you had prominent individuals in the government threatening of sorts to these companies to change their terms of service. And so then the companies did go in and manually change their terms of service so that then they could go back and censor a lot of this content. So so I think it's a little bit of a false you know, choice to say, Either they have to have no regulation or uh, the government stays or has total control. Because I think what's actually happening is the government is pressuring these companies to change their standard. Allow me to insert this because we have limited time. I do want to know your position on the idea of deregulation because that's an important dynamic of our debate. Do you believe that these uh, social media outlets should engage in uh, unregulated uh, content? Or should they regulate the platform and just do it in a different way? Yeah, I, I think a private company has it, its own right to regulate its own content and to set those standards. I think that that right does exist. I think the problem, though, is the government coming in and pressuring these companies to take a certain stance. I think that's where you get into some of the line of the First Amendment. So okay. the companies are protected. And, that, by- and, and sir, that I agree with. So if the government, and let's utilize your... Um, hypothetical because we don't have any proclamation on the legal record. But let's utilize your hypothetical as fact. Let's say it's fact that the government is coming in, uh, utilizing their power to pressure speech, even if it's a private company. Well, that is wrong. And that's what DeSantis did against Disney. That's wrong. You're utilizing legislation or government in order to penalize someone because you don't like what they're saying. But remember, in order for that to be an actionable claim, Disney had to say it. Disney had to say, this is what the government is doing to us. And we are filing suit, enforcing our First Amendment right. So while they do have that right, it is their right. It's not my right, and it's not your right, so they have to enforce it. Why is it that a company like Disney will enforce this right? But you have not seen that same enforcement from companies that are more powerful than Disney, if this is in fact how the government is starting to, let's just say, manipulate the powers that be. I, you know, it's hard to speculate on the motives of, of the big companies, but I would argue that pre Elon's takeover, in particular with Twitter, that was a company that was very willing to go along with a lot of the narratives that the government wanted. And I think that you can look at a lot of the leaked emails that that do confirm this White House uh, collusion of sorts, if you want to call yeah, it that. Yeah, but that's different. That's different now. Let's oh. talk about let's talk about that. Collusion, uh, coordination, a private company, as you have just laid out on the show, a private company has the right of regulation. They have the right of MOU contracts, whatever association or partnership they choose to have, they can have that. You have private public partnerships all over the place. The NFL in many ways is a private public partnerships in some respect, given the stadium dynamics and city governments and state governments that are involved. We don't say, well, that partnership is somehow um, adversarial to the sentiment of the corporation or the corporation gets to choose it. And if we don't want the corporation engaging in that kind of behavior, we as a consumer, as customers, we can decide to economically disengage from that company. So my point to you is, there's a conflation here of the terminology collusion and then force. 
Collusion means that they are in cahoots, meaning the company is saying yes to the influence. Force would mean the company is saying no, but the government is threatening them and giving them no other choice. So which one is it? Well, I, th- I think that will be determined largely by the Missouri v. Biden case that will yeah. be held out. I think there's pretty ample evidence to suggest that it is it is a thinly veiled threat through a lot of the communications that have been issued. And there have been rulings against that, that the government can't abridge the First Amendment through private actors uh, if it's the government's will through this force. So I think that you're going to see that these threats, again, the government is the, the biggest monopoly on force that we have in society, realistically speaking. And so when they come to a private company like Twitter or Facebook, and they tell them, we take a look at these accounts, we want you to censor them, we want you to change your terms of service. It's very, it's very hard to say no. So Disney said no, and and that's great. But the federal government is also a much bigger institution than the state of Florida, for instance. Okay. And you don't you don't suggest that it should be completely deregulated, even in a more moderate system, you don't want complete deregulation, right? You know, again, if it's a private company, I think that they have the right to do what is. I would highly promote a culture of free speech. I think that companies should be more willing to let voices of dissent exist because as we've seen with things from COVID to the Hunter Biden laptop story, things that often were said, this is misinformation, this is false, later do turn out to be true. I don't think anyone has a monopoly on the truth. And so I would, even if it's a private company's right to censor and moderate things, I would encourage companies and our culture in the US to be very open to more speech, not less. Yeah, and I concur with that final point. And I'm going to give you some stats as to where the pushback, much of it is coming from. 98% of American parents believe that social media platforms are dangerous and anyone under 18 should get some type of parental permission. More than two thirds of parents believe that children under 18 need more legislative protection against Social media, 89% of parents would like a law that would require children to obtain permission from the parents before getting on social media. 91% of parents support prohibiting social media apps, et cetera, et cetera. So you got a lot of your pushback of deregulation from there. And I got to tell you, I get the point, right? So the point is you have this massive platform that children are on. I don't want my daughter exposed to people saying the N word without any pushback. And then the very people, the same people who say that this should be a free speech uh, dynamic like Truth Social. Uh, I lasted on Truth Social for five minutes uh, before they kicked me off. Uh, and I said nothing that was controversial. It was just because of who I am. Uh, so the same people that are launching the uh, debate, right, and going and actually filing court cases, are the same people engaged in the same level of uh, activity of silence and others who are not in agreement with them. Yeah, but my only response to that would be the St. Augustine quote, which is never judge a philosophy by its abuse. And <laughs> so I would strongly encourage, you know, that's really rotten behavior. And I don't support that either. I think that yeah. that's one of the problems sometimes with the conservative side is they'll say things like we need smaller government. And then when they get in power, they don't make it smaller because they want to punish the people that they view as, as harming them. So. I don't like the censorship of conservative voices. I do think, again, it's more about disrupting the narrative. They don't want that to happen. Uh, but I would also say that once you, when you create your own platform and you want it to be a free speech platform, it should be a free speech platform. And you shouldn't silence or kick, kick someone like yourself off just because of uh, dissenting views either. There you go. There you go. Uh, listen, man, I mean, 
I want dissenting voices, so I entertain the conservative point of view on damn near every show. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.